Wes Keen, I don't know about you. The energy needs to come up in here. Get them up, Dave. I don't want. I don't. I don't want to have to scold everyone, but I will. Okay, this is summer. We're not here for me. We're not here for you. We're here for Jesus. Amen. Let's go. Okay, so I'm preaching today, and Blake's not here. All right. But first, who, is anyone here who's going? Who's on Honduras team next week? We got a lot of Midland folks, so. And I know what Megan's trying to do. She's having me send the Honduras team, and she wants to count it against my sermon time. It doesn't work like that, Megan. So my time hasn't started yet. Okay, so since no one from Honduras team is here, I'll just let everyone know so I get this easel. This time next week, 12 people from Christ Community, both here and at Midland, it's about a 50-50 split between here and Midland, will be in the air to San Pedro Sula, Honduras with Sparrow Missions to do ministry for a week. So keep them in your prayers. If you want names specifically, you can text me or Bobby Carnes. But keep them in your prayers. Pray for the people of Honduras this week to whom they'll be ministering that the Holy Spirit will just prepare them and will prepare our team for everything that He has for them. Amen? So we'll pray for that at the end since no one's here. I, I know there are several over at Midland and they're doing the same thing over there. So, all right. Does everybody need to stand up? Is everybody awake? Are we good? Are we good? I'm so amped up this morning, I've already annoyed my own family, okay? So I, I cannot abide a lack of, I cannot abide this lackadaisical energy this morning. Okay, let's go. We are here to tell you, everybody take a deep breath. We are here today to talk about, just say these words with me, say grace and forgiveness. Doesn't that feel good to say those words? Grace. We're here today to talk about the wonderful grace of God. And I'm telling you, that is something to be excited about. Last week, we're finishing up Romans. Last week, Blake talked about... Is that too loud? Last week, Blake talked about Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And basically, to summarize that in a word, it was hope. Blake talked about how faith in Jesus brings hope. Specifically, once we've been made right in God's sight by faith in Jesus, we can have peace, joy, God's glory in the future, endurance and strength of character, even in tough times, and the Holy Spirit and His love filling our hearts. We can have hope in Jesus. That's what the first part of Romans 5 is about. Okay? So I'm finishing up Romans 5 today. Romans 5, 6-21 through 21 is going to be our passage. It's a great scripture. Romans 5 is very full. I encourage you just to take some time and read it. But it's also very simple and clear in its language. It's the perfect chapter for a lawyer to preach about. Okay, I'm excited about it because it's very logical and methodical. It's Paul making his case for Christ, for justification. So we're going to walk through that together. But the word of today is, for this passage, grace. This passage is all about the grace of God. And obviously, forgiveness comes in as part of grace. That's how we express grace. That's how Jesus expressed His grace to us. When I was a little kid, we used to travel to my grandparents' house in West Virginia. And I'd go with my mom, and I was kind of a rascal, you know, high-energy kid. But we'd go up there and just have fun, sit around, do whatever, and I'd get myself into trouble Every once in a while, I'd do something I shouldn't do or say something I shouldn't say. 
And they were things that warranted me getting punished, right? But anytime I did it, my mom would start coming after me. My mom's here this morning. And I knew in my mind, if I can just get to my pawpaw, I'm good. Now, in West Virginia, you don't have a grandfather. You got a pawpaw, all right? And I thought, no matter what I do, if I can just make it to him, then he's my saving grace. If I can just get to his lap, then he'll say, don't you spank that child. (laughs) And man, I wore that out too. So doesn't that feel good though to rest in grace? It's so freeing. It's so humbling. It's just a good feeling to experience grace, isn't it? But in our culture, it's rare. We are not a graceful, forgiving culture, are we? It's kind of a lost concept, the concept of grace. In 1988, London's Wembley Stadium hosted a concert to raise awareness for Nelson Mandela's imprisonment. The concert featured, listen to these music bands, Dire Straits, Sting, George Michael, Guns N' Roses, Natalie Cole, Joe Cocker, Simple Minds, Tracy Chapman, The Bee Gees, and Salt and Peppa. All these bands were there. For 12 hours, they played to 70,000 screaming fans, but the last act was unexpected. Opera singer Jessie Norman took the stage, and with no band or backup singers, she started singing Amazing Grace. The whole arena went silent. By the second verse, 70,000 people were standing and singing with her. Philip Yancey, commenting on the event, said, The world thirsts for grace. When grace descends, the world falls silent before it. We are thirsty for this grace that we can only get from Jesus. So we're going to dig into this scripture. And here are the big points we're going to talk about. Number one, we're going to talk about Jesus and the gift of his amazing grace and what that means for us, how we're justified, how we're reconciled through that grace. But number, number two, as with everything else that God gives us, it comes with a charge, right? It comes with a challenge. What are we supposed to do with that grace? And I think the answer is, Number one, we're supposed to tell of the good news of God's grace. Number two, we're supposed to give it away. Because what happens is we receive that grace and then we're stingy with giving it back. Right? So we're going to talk about that. Sound good? Everybody with me? All right, let's pray. God, thanks so much uh, for being here with us. We just claim your promise, God, that where we're gathered in your name, you're here. We just welcome and invite your presence. We are so thankful for your amazing grace that you pursued us, that you give grace to us freely, and that you forgive us and reconcile us to you. So be with us and let us hear from you as we talk about that today. In Jesus' name, amen. I like the smaller crowd because it feels like we're just talking, right? I get There's speaking and then there's talking. So let's just settle in and talk about this stuff. It's good stuff, okay? Romans 5, 6 through 21, it's going to be up here. I have no idea if it's on the Bible app. I'm not a techie, and Blake's not here. He is a techie, so it may not be. So look it up in your Bibles or look at it up here. Romans 5, 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. You can preach a whole sermon just on that. That is an encouraging few verses. Let's keep going. Adam and Christ contrasted. When Adam sinned, verse 12, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. See why the lawyer likes this? It's, very, it's just very methodical. Still, everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater, say even greater, even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through the other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater, there's that phrase again, even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. It's a lot. But man, is it good. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I know that's a lot, but I mean, we can't say it any better than that, folks. I felt like I needed to read the whole thing. Okay, that is a wonderful articulation of the, rec of the reconciling, transforming power of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we're going to drill down on it a little bit, but what a gift. The abundant gift of grace to forgive us and to reconcile us with God. Let's talk about a little background. I was kicking this around with my man Brent Corbin this week. If you don't know Brent, he goes over to Midland, get to know him. He is awesome. Man, that guy loves the Word. But it was fun to talk with him about this. So background leading up to Romans 5, the book of Acts, which precedes Romans, describes the strategy of Paul and other apostles for evangelism in the synagogues and in the early church. So Romans follows that, and especially the first five chapters, like I've talked about, is a perfectly crafted, flowing argument that basically sets forth Paul's position layer by layer 
on Christ, making the case for Christ and justification through faith, not works, which was a revolutionary concept that you can't earn it. Okay? Romans 5 is the culmination of Paul's main point that he started back in Romans 3. Put up Romans 3.21. Paul says here, but God... But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. In Romans, Paul roots his case for Christ in the Old Testament Scriptures, so he's pointing back to Moses and the law and an understanding of humanity, so we're all unified in this. We're unified by the sin of Adam. Unfortunately, we're unified in death and separation from God. But he takes that Old Testament framework and then explains why Jesus had to die for us. And chapter 5 is, I would call it his closing argument on the case for Christ. Put that slide up, Russell. So the great theologian Homer Simpson once said, we'll just look at it up here. In one episode of The Simpsons, Homer finished reading the Bible and said, everyone in this book is a mess except this one guy. That'll preach. It's really that simple, isn't it? We're all a mess. Accept it. We're a mess. I've been up on this stage before with my family and we described ourselves as a hot mess. We're not just a mess, we're a hot mess. There's only one guy who's perfect and he was given to us by God as a free gift. All right, let's define grace. There's a couple different ways to do it. In the Old Testament, it's primarily defined using the Hebrew word H-E-N, which is pronounced edge. A virtue of God proclaiming approval or favor, the unmerited favor of God towards man. So unmerited favor of God. For those of you who grow up in church, you'd hear people talk sometimes about the favor, right? Oh, he's got the favor. I don't know why. I mean, I want the favor. It sounds great. Now in the New Testament... Paul uses a different definition from the Greek word spelled C-H-A-R-I-S, pronounced kavri. In the Greek, grace means an unmerited, uh, unmerited's in common, right? We don't deserve either kind of grace. We don't deserve God's favor, and we don't deserve the kind of grace that Paul talks about. Divine assistance given to us for regeneration and sanctification. That's grace in the New Testament. Obviously, Romans and Paul in his other letters focuses primarily on this kind of grace, sanctification and justification through Christ. Ephesians 2, 8-10 says this, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Boy, we just love to take credit for stuff, don't we? I mean, we can't wait to take credit for stuff. Any little thing we do, we want our pat on the back, we want our name on a little brick of something we, you know, we just want to take credit for stuff, don't we? I mean, I do. Anybody else like to take credit for stuff or get a little pat on the back? It feels good, right? Well, we can't take credit for this. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. Well, thank goodness, because a lot of us have done a lot of bad things too. It's not a reward. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. 
He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Receive the gift first. Then do the good stuff. You can't earn it through good deeds. Pretty simple, right? We've got to stop trying to do something that we think we should be able to brag about. And just take the gift. And then go with the gift and share it with others. I like this story. I read it this week. A pastor named Ray Raycroft, who was traveling with another pastor on their way to Atlanta for a large conference, one of the pastors had never been in the South before. After staying in a motel overnight, they stopped at a nearby restaurant for breakfast. While their meal was delivered, the pastor, who had never been in the South before, saw this white, mushy-looking stuff on his plate. When the waitress came by again, he asked her what it was. Grits, she replied. Ma'am, I didn't order grits, and I'm not paying for them. She said, sir, down here, you don't order it, and you don't pay for it. You just get it. And he said, huh, sounds like the grace of God. You don't pay for it. You can't earn it. You just get it. Let's be thankful for that. You just get it. Just take it. Who doesn't want a big old pile of grits for free? You just get it. You can't explain it. <laughs> it's the grace of God. It is a gift. So if you haven't, if you're here this morning and you haven't accepted that gift, stop trying to earn it. Stop trying to get good first. Okay? Don't wait another minute to accept that gift. Come talk to one of us. Let us pray with you about that. All right, let's dig in more. Everybody with me? Good stuff, right? The grace of God. Let's go back to the first part, Romans 5, 6 through 11. I'm not going to read through it all again, but as I like to do, I'm going to pull some of the words out, okay? So when we were utterly helpless, let's, let's talk about that. Embrace the concept of your utter helplessness. Can we do that? The word that you use also means weak or ungodly. So let, let's not sugarcoat it here. We're not just helpless. Helpless almost implies pity, right? We're weak and we're ungodly. Before Jesus, we're enemies of God by nature because of the sin of Adam, like we're going to get into. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right, let's talk about made right. That's the concept of justification. Justification means declared righteous. So through Jesus, we go from weak and ungodly to declared righteous. That's a pretty good trade, right? For since our friendship with God, skipping down to 10, I don't know if it's up here or not. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son. Let's talk about that word restored. That's the concept of reconciliation. Okay, We went from enemies of God to being reconciled into a friend of God. The Greek word there is change or exchange. It's a change of attitude and relationship between us and God. That's what reconciliation is. So now we can rejoice, skipping down to 11, and we also get joy, okay? So we go from weak and ungodly to justified, to reconciled, to joy. Thank God for His grace. Amen? 
What a powerful description of this gift. When we were at our worst, think about when you were at your worst. (laughs) When we were at our worst, that's when He loved us the most. And He gives us this gift. Do you want to give your kids a gift when they're at their worst? I don't want to give them nothing. Like, get out of here. Not getting that. That's the difference, right? The gift of God comes when we're at our worst. Jesus died for us in that moment so that we could be His friend. It's amazing. All right, let's move on to 5.12. I'm not going to read all this again. It's a lot, obviously. Um, So what we're going to talk about are the contrasts that Paul makes between Adam and Jesus. Okay, we're going to run through those. But let's talk first about this law question. I can't skip over the law question as the lawyer, right? It intrigues me, okay? Has anybody else ever wondered that? Like, how are we all under sin when there wasn't even law yet? Maybe I'm just weird or a little bit nerdy on stuff like that, but, but he explains it here. People sinned even before the law was given. He says in verse 13, sin was present from Adam because Adam had been given a command, right? And he disobeyed it. So Adam's sin was clear, but don't you think in a fairness sense, like, have you ever thought like, well, why does what Adam did apply to me? Well, because we're unified in our humanity, the law came later, and as he explains, the law basically woke everyone up. Like, hey, come to your senses. You guys are doing everything wrong, and you're dishonored. You know, it woke, it opened everyone's eyes. But what Paul explains in that verse 13 is sin was present from Adam to Moses, but it wasn't imputed or accounted for yet because there was no law yet. But both before and after the law, so let's not kid ourselves, Adam wasn't the only one who sinned between him and the law of Moses, right? Can we all agree to that? I mean, his own kid, one of his kids murdered the other one, right? Before the law came, okay? So sin was going on, but it hadn't been imputed or accounted for until there was the law. But both before and after the law, all had sinned, all had died up to that point, and death reigned until Jesus came. So Adam brought sin into the world through his disobedience, and we all became sinners, as Romans 3, 10-12 says. No one is righteous. I think it's going to be up here. Not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Ever felt like that? Well, you're not alone, right? We're all unified in that. But Jesus perfectly obeyed God, and through His one act of righteousness and obedience, everything was reconciled. I've done some research on this this week. Scholars disagree if Paul had in mind in verses 18 and 19, Jesus' entire life of obedience or just His specific act of going to the cross. Most people seem to lean towards the obedience on the cross as being that single act that reconciled everything, but we can't forget Jesus had to be that perfect Lamb, right? He had to be that spotless sacrifice in order to make everything reconciled again. Hebrews 4.15 says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet did not sin. So that was a critical part of the reconciliation. All right, contrast number two. 
Adam brought condemnation. Jesus brought justification. Adam's disobedience condemned us to death. Jesus' obedience justified us with God. Right? The Greek word here for justification is to acquit or to declare righteous. Again, all these legal metaphors. Right? So it's like a favorable verdict in a trial with God as a judge. You're off. That's what justification means in this context. If you're more of a dumb, if you're more of a dumb and dumber fan, it's triple stamped, no erases. <laughs> triple stamped, no erases. Touch blue, make it true. You're justified. And if you get that reference, we'd probably be good friends. All right. So the justification is once and for all. Jesus did it. We are acquitted. Right? Everybody with me? Okay. Now, this is not how the world works, right? We don't get it for free in the world. When a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that's a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and gets a trophy, that's a prize. When a person gets a recognition for his long service or high achievement, that's an award, right? But when a per- what about when a person's not capable of earning a wage, What about when you can't win a prize and you don't deserve a reward, yet you get the gift anyway? That is unmerited favor. That is the grace of God. We don't deserve the prize, the award, or the wage. That should give us hope and joy, right? We don't have to earn it. With the gospel, the wage, the prize, the award come first. We get it first. That never happens. You don't even get a participation trophy first. God declares us righteous because of Jesus. Then we do the good deeds later. We can't get that backwards. You can't do the good deeds to get the gift. Right? You're off the hook. Stop trying so hard. But do we believe this? Do we accept it? Can we rest in the transformative work of Christ? We can rest in it. Number three, I'm going to breeze through this because I want to get to the last part. Adam brought death. The third contrast, Adam brought death. Jesus brought life. That's an obvious one, right? Revelation 1.18, Jesus says, I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Those of us who trust in Jesus need not fear death. Do we live like that? We don't have to fear death. My wife cannot stand when I joke about death. I shouldn't do it. But I, I mean, it, it, can you really not fear death when you have Jesus? I always joke with her like, throw me a party like I made it. You know? I mean, this. do we believe this stuff? He defeated death. He's got the keys. It's exciting, man. All right, so this is, as if I haven't been excited up until this point, this is the part I'm really excited about. All right, the practical part, right? That's where we got to get to. How do we make the grace of God real in our everyday lives? What do we do with this incomprehensible free gift of amazing grace and forgiveness it's pretty simple. 
but not simple to do. We remember what Jesus has done, first of all, how quickly we forget the grace of God. We think we're entitled to it after a while, don't we? Now, just because you can't earn the gift doesn't mean you're entitled to the gift. It's a gift. Remember what Jesus has done for us. Share the good news of it and give it away. Okay? One of my favorite scriptures is Acts 20, 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. That is how Paul viewed his life. If I don't do that, if I don't take what I'm telling you in Romans 5 and go to work telling people about it, my life is worth nothing. I mean, you can't, you, these words are not ambiguous. My life is worth nothing if I don't do that. So Paul appreciated and lived his life in a way that reflected appreciation and gratitude for the gift, right? Do we live like that? If we aren't sharing the good news of God's grace and giving it away to others in an even greater measure, how much greater should we give it away? I kept using those phrases, abundant, you know, even more, right? We should give it away even more. If we're not, then we're forgetting or taking it for granted, plain and simple. But giving it away is easier to say than it is to do, right? Especially to certain groups of people. What about our spouse, right? Is it easy? Is it easy to give away grace and forgiveness to our spouse? Sometimes not. To our family. That's the hardest, right? These groups are the, the ones that we love the most. It's the hardest, right? To give grace, to be forgiven, to just extend it over and over, 70 times 7, like Jesus talked about, over and over. What about our boss or coworkers? Grace, forgiveness. Do we just freely give that? What about difficult people? We've got some, right? Everybody's got some. I'm kind of difficult. My wife extends me a lot of grace. Okay? What about difficult people? The ones we don't want to go to. Are we freely... Remember, we got the gift when we were at our worst. Right? So how can we put conditions on giving it away? What about people who are different from us? Race. Politically. Homosexuality. Transgender. Are we extending grace and forgiveness to people different from us? What about the addicted to drugs and alcohol or something else? When it happens again, do we just shake our heads? Or are we extending grace and forgiveness? What about the poor, the needy, the forgotten? Are we extending grace and forgiveness? Richard Blackaby, the son of Henry Blackaby, wrote a book called Putting a Face on Grace. If you don't know who Henry Blackaby is, he wrote Experiencing God and a lot of other things. He's a, he's a rock of the faith. But this book, I highly recommend it. I'm just starting to get into it. There's a chapter in the book, Putting a Face on Grace, called The Paradox of the Graceless Christian. 
As you can imagine, I was intrigued at the title of this chapter, and we all should be. We've got to be cognizant of this. This is how the grace gets real, right? This is when we encounter people that are different from us, that are difficult to us, that offend us. This is where the grace gets real. We're either a paradoxical, conflicted Christian who is taking the grace for granted, or we're giving it away, right? This is that kick in the gut part, Jeff. Okay, this kicked me in the gut. So let's look at that chapter. It's so hard to, this is what uh, Richard Blackaby says about why is it so hard to give grace away. Many of us have lost the wonder of what God's grace has done for us and live self-centered, entitled lives. We just do, right? Hopefully this morning, just going through, go through Romans. If you've forgotten the wonder of God's grace, just go through Romans 5 again, okay? It says it better than I ever could. Read different versions of it. Get it in your head some way that makes sense to you, right? We have enjoyed a generous outpouring of God's grace, but often are stingy about sharing grace and forgiveness to others. He cites to that, in Luke 7, there's a story about a debtor. It's Luke 7, 36 to 50, if you want to look it up. There's a story about a debtor whose master forgave him a great debt, right? And then he immediately runs out and tries to collect on a small debt from somebody who owed him. And guess what? The master finds out. (laughs) And he throws him in jail. And basically says, how dare you? I forgave you, you know, the equivalent would be, I forgave you 10 million, and you thank me and walk out of here and go try to collect a thousand? How dare you? It's a good metaphor. Jesus was good at good metaphors, wasn't he? When we forget or fail to recognize how much God has given us, we will not live a life of gratitude or grace. Now, this is my favorite part from the book, from what I've read so far. Being forgiven does not automatically free us from being self-centered. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. Being forgiven does not automatically free us from being self-centered. We have to choose to focus on others and give away grace and forgiveness. It's a daily choice, if not an hourly or minute-by-minute choice. So here are three principles he gives. I'll try to go slow in case you want to get some notes down because these, are, these really spoke to me. So principles of giving grace away from Richard Blackaby's book. Principle number one, the more aware you are of your need for God's grace, the more generous you will be towards others. Stay aware of God's grace. Be consciously aware of his grace and it will be so much easier to give it away. If you take it for granted, it's like anything else if you think, take it for granted. You know, a relationship, a piece of, you know, anything else that you take for granted, sooner or later you start thinking you're entitled to it, and then what do you do? You get selfish with it, right? And same is true of God's grace. Principle number two. A true understanding of your daily dependence on God's mercy causes you to be humble towards towards God and others. If we understand that we are totally dependent on God's mercy and grace, we, it will reflect in humility towards God and others, not pride or entitlement. These are hard, right? 
Number three, if you are truly grateful for God's forgiveness, you will be quick to forgive others. I mean, that's straight from Scripture. But if you're really, he puts that word truly in there. If you're not truly grateful, you won't be. You know, if you say, if you just say you're grateful, you'll be stingy with it. If you're really grateful, you'll be free with it. All right, so let's wrap this up. I'm going to stick with Blackby. He says it better than I can. The truth is that our behavior clearly communicates our understanding of God's grace in our lives. That's the bottom line. It's reflected in our actions. If grace is real to us and we're truly thankful for it and God's mercy, it's going to reflect in our actions. If we grasp the enormity of His grace, we will gladly give it away. If we're really humbled and broken by it, we will not focus on the sins of others, but we'll be motivated to serve them and we'll forgive others, whether they deserve it or not. To show It's not about them. You're forgiving others to show your gratitude to Him for His gift. That's why He did it. That's why He gave it to us. Right? Okay, so where did this leave us? Number one, Hopefully we have a better understanding. And if again, just go back to Romans 5. I read it. It's so clear and simple. Hopefully we have a better understanding from Romans 5 of what Jesus did for us. The unimaginable gift of God's grace. So that's number one that we should walk out of here with. Number two, we've got to get up and get out and share it. We can't be stingy with it. We have been given this amazing gift we have to walk in it be generous humble merciful and give give grace away let's do it together amen let's pray god thank you so much i'm just so humbled talking about your grace what an unimaginable gift you have given us the gift of grace personified in the person of Jesus Christ, the perfect man, the only perfect man, the only one who wasn't messed up, came and died for us to be justified, to be reconciled, to be a friend of God. Thank you for that, Jesus. Help us never to forget how thankful, how grateful, how dependent on that mercy and grace we are. And God, just help us give it away. Help us not to be stingy with it. Help us to extend grace to and forgive those who deserve it, those who don't, and everybody in between, those who are different from us, those in our neighborhood, across the street, in our community, state, and world who don't look like us, who disagree with us, who are difficult to us. Just help us, Lord, to give grace and forgiveness away to them, all for your glory. Challenge and change us today as we walk out of these doors. God, we need you. We can't do it without you. Let your word, let your truth take root in, us, root in us today. Thank you so much for being here with us and for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.